What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, Hall of Fame quarterback Steve Young, who's got a new book out, QB, My Life Behind the Spiral, just out this week. It is excellent. Also joining me, Denver Broncos Super Bowl safety, TJ Ward. I asked Steve Young about his, well, let's just call it difficult, relationship with another Hall of Fame quarterback with the Niners, Joe Montana. You know, we never had an argument or a crossword, but it was always hard, mm-hmm. as you could imagine. And I saw years going by me that were just precious years. And he saw, what the heck is this idiot doing here? Because this is my town. You know, so it was like, I knew it was hard. I knew in the middle of it, but I didn't know what else to do. And I asked T.J. Ward about what makes this Denver Broncos defense special. You got to have that competitiveness in you. You can prepare all you want. You can know all the plays. You can do everything right. But if you get on that field and you don't have that fight in you, it doesn't matter. Those conversations and my thoughts on week five of the National Football League season coming up. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. Back on the podcast now with Steve Young, who once told me in 1993, this is before you were really like Steve Young in the (laughs) NFL. And I'm going to read you a quote. You said, when it's all over, I might be able to say I've had the strangest career in pro football history. And that was even before yeah. a lot of the weird <laughs> things happened. But the reason why you're here today, and I'm talking to Steve here in New York at the Time Inc. buildings, actually at the offices of the MMQB here in downtown Manhattan. But Steve is here because he has written a new book with Jeff Benedict. And it's called QB, My Life Behind the Spiral. And it is, it's just out today. This is October 11th, isn't yeah. it, today? Yeah. And today is your pub date. And it's also your 55th birthday. And no one, and isn't I, that exciting? And, uh, like most things <laughs> with this book, it was all idiot savant stuff. No one, the publisher didn't know it was my birthday. I didn't know there was had to be a date. I mean, the whole thing's been kind of quirky. What would you normally do on your birthday in Palo Alto? Come I'd on, if you carpool, were home today, what would you do? I'd have carpool in the morning and go to work for a little bit. Carpool in the afternoon. Come home, cake. Maybe the kids have made a couple cards. Try to, you know, as you get 50, 
you kind of play it down, Peter. Yeah. You know, you're As like, I oh, well know. Go by. <laughs> Hurry by. No one notice. It's like, there's, no, there's nothing to see here. Nothing Move to on. See here. Nothing Get off see. my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, I, we were just talking before uh, we started recording this about about why I think you and Jeff did a terrific job on this book because you easily have a book in you about football itself. But this there's so many interesting things because you admit so many things in this book that impressed me that somebody who has achieved the Hall of Fame status that you have, the success you've had in life, and you go back to when you were a kid and talk about this incredible separation anxiety you had so that you didn't do sleepovers when you were a kid. Not even you didn't close. Do, and, you know, I'm reading this in the book, and I just keep saying to myself, my gosh, here's a guy who's got this separation anxiety that lingers. Till Hangs around, you, doesn't it? Until you're with the 49ers, and yeah. it becomes you win the MVP. Yeah. And you have a doctor in San Francisco who says to you, I've never seen anything like this before, <laughs> especially in somebody who's a successful guy. Right. So I'm really curious about that aspect of it yeah. and how you think you were able to succeed to the point you were with this tremendous yeah. thing gnawing it. You know, you. it's funny, Peter. I grew up until I was 30-something. I finally got something had gotten so bad. I was like, something's wrong. I just know something. This is not – no one lives this way. And that's when I finally went to Jim Clint, who was our, our internist for the 49ers. And I said to myself, if we win this game, I'd been up all night just kind of fighting through just kind of a bad bout of it, which is unusual. I always slept. And, and I said, if we win this game, if we beat the Falcons, I'm going to tell somebody. Something's wrong. And so I remember that after the game, we beat the Falcons. And I went is up this to 1993, I want to say. 1993. And yeah. I say, Reggie, oh, we called him Reggie. I go, Reggie. I'm going through something, and I've been going through it for a long time. I'm not really sure what the heck's going on, but I, I got to get some help. I don't know what it is. And he, I, as I explained it to him, he started to cry. And I was so afraid to say anything to anybody because, like, you don't say that you got something going on that you don't, you know. And so he said, Steve, I had total separation anxiety when I was a kid. And I went all the way through med school, and it's brutal. And it was like we both just sat there in the bottom of you know that little back separ- corner. I know exactly where you're talking about. Part. Is separation anxiety basically at that point uh, an becomes, exacerbated form of homesickness? Yeah, you would any kids that say uh, you know hey let's go sleep over you know we have a sleepover at Peter's house you want to go no do yeah. I, you want to go stay with Aunt Betty for a little while I mean, we're going to go to Italy no. You know, it's like, no, 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 we're not. And I was I was a killer during the day. I mean, any Peter from sunup to sundown, I would, I crushed it. You could see it in the, I was yeah. three sports and straight A's. And about nighttime, I was home. But I didn't really think much of it. You know, I'm just growing up in Greenwich, Connecticut. I didn't think, but when I went to college, that was the first time I was like, I could hardly make it. Yeah. Couldn't unpack my I was bag. amazed. When I read this, I was amazed you went to Utah. Yeah. I was going to be amazed you were going to go to North Carolina. Right. That's so, far. But interestingly enough, Utah had a lot of family friends, and my, yeah. my, my dad grew up there, so there was a connection that I needed to make that transition. And what was funny about it, the first four months through Christmas was really difficult. I mean, I can't even describe it. But by Christmas, it had become a new home, and it was fine. So yeah. it taught me that really you just got to go through this thing. You can't – if you run around this thing, it'll beat you up your whole life. You just got to keep going through it. And so finally, you know, on the other side, say at the end of the book, it's like – you know, I could move to Italy or go to Zimbabwe or it's like, it's fine. And so it's fun to think about that journey. And I guess that I didn't mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I did this for my kids because I'm sure some of, it'll show up in some of them because it's genetic. It'll show up in my family somewhere. It's all over my mom's family. Now that we know all about it, my uncle suffered, struggled through it. His kids have struggled through it. That One of them wanted to go on a church mission and went off for about a month and just couldn't, couldn't make do it. it. Yeah. And so when, if you don't understand it, like my dad didn't understand it, it was always just have fun. Maybe you're, you're playing professional football and getting paid. Well, you got to be kidding me. And it was like I couldn't talk to him anymore because if he told me to go have fun one more time, yeah. I was going to kill him. <laughs> and so – and then the challenges and the rigors of what came professionally when you said, you know, I've had a strange career. I've told anyone who's, you know, I run into players and even today at Monday nights, I'll run into guys and, and I'll say whatever's, you know, whatever's happened to you, no matter where it is in football, I probably could tell you 
you know, it happened to me. It happened well. to me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> whether it was a Hall of Fame or whether it was, you know, eight string quarterback, <laughs> I've been there. With Steve Young on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. So, Steve, there's two things that I wanted to tell you. So I consider myself to be fairly close to Steve after a lot of times covering him. Um, one time I wrote a story on all of his work at the Navajo Nation and with the Hopi tribe. With, you were the with only various... guy that ever was willing to fly down on that little plane. Oh, my God. That plane, <laughs> I thought, I was sure we were going to die that day. That was absolutely ridiculous. That's when we were bonded for life. Yeah, because, that was, uh, and that you was got awful. Four, and you got 14 bolo ties as gifts. So. I did, yeah. But you know what I remember about that? You know what? You know what was really sad about that, by the way? It was sad that those kids, so many of them just really like had disrespect so much disrespect for authority that you were standing up talking to them and they didn't care and that's how far that's how much work you had to do to kind of get those people to realize you were trying to help them and when i say those people i don't necessarily just mean native americans i mean anybody that you actually try to help who you know, is really... Not really looking for it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was difficult. Our message was really simple at that time. If you can get through high school, we have funds for trade school, junior college, and even college, but you got to get through high school. And that was the difficulty, was getting people through high school. And so I appreciate, that's part of the story too, is just the number of angels in my life that I came across that I call angels because they pushed me forward, helped me grow, refined me, pruned me, and uh, and gave me great experience, and that was one of them. Dale Tingey took me down, and you know, we flew yeah. on that little plane, and we we come in and buzz the the, the dirt road to get the sheep yeah. off, and come in and land, and tell the kids, hey, look, there's there's hope, and we want yeah. you to know that. And so I appreciate you coming down that time. Yeah. It was fun. You're listening to the MMQB podcast. Hey everybody, listen up. You don't want to miss this. Make sure you remember these four letters: MMQB. These days, you can get practically everything on demand. Like my podcast, listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So, why are you still making time-consuming trips to the post office when we know how busy you are just running your business? You can get postage on demand with Stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And, unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. You can get postage whenever you need it, 24-7. Now here's the part I told you to remember. Right now, for my listeners, sign up for Stamps.com and use my promo code MMQB for this special offer. A four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in MMQB. Don't forget the microphone at the top of the screen. That's stamps.com and enter MMQB. You know, the other thing that you don't know that I think about still a lot to this day. You know, I will never forget being in the car with you after your Super Bowl. (laughs) But the interesting thing is, and you wrote a little bit about this in the book. Okay, so you just play this game. This is really the most memorable Super Bowl I ever covered, far and away. Mm. More memorable than any of the games that were actually good games. This wasn't a good game. You guys just shredded them. Six touchdown passes. You have the best game to this day that a quarterback has ever had in the Super Bowl. And I'll never forget, after the game, you were so emotional. I was in the locker room. At the time, I was also working for ABC. So I was in the locker room, and Brent Musburger is going to do the trophy thing, and Eddie is there. And you get a hold of the the Lombardi trophy, and you hugged it so hard that I thought it was going to bend. It meant it's so hollow much too. to it you. It might have been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know but that. You were so emotional that day about they can never, ever, ever take this mm. away. Mm. And I just thought that that day had to be such a redemptive day for you as an athlete because mm. so many times over the years, you know, both with your bizarre experience with the LA Express your horrible experience with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then early on where you're, 
you're supposed to be the guy and you never get to be the guy. <laughs> the other guy gets better and better. Yeah, was, yeah. I thought he was hurt and then he gets better and better. Yeah, I think it's all a, I mean that is a you know life is a journey and I I I feel like um that place that time it was it had become I always joked when I won the MVP in 92 and then we lost to the Cowboys that they ran me out of town. They had me back, but they ran me out of town briefly cuz it just you didn't do what you're supposed to do. And so in many ways, I recognize... Because the expectations were so Super Bowl. high. And so, yeah. uh, you know, either you climb Everest or you don't. And you can tell us all about the great adventures throughout your life and Kilimanjaro and all. You can travel the world, but you better get on top of Everest and plant a flag and take a picture. And so that was that moment. That was a moment where, okay, I, I recognize that as something that we got to get done. And let's go about doing it. And then we ran into one of the great teams in, in football history in the 92 through five, probably, Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And we had to be better than them. You have to be better than the, one of the best teams that's ever been put together. So we took that challenge. And so there was, a, there was all that tied in there. There's a bunch of stuff. I think more than anything, those guys that I shared that in the locker room had been beaten twice by the Cowboys. So there's that, there's that immediacy, too. It wasn't just a, a long story, my journey, but it was all of us just – we were facing that night or the, you know, the championship game before, we were facing a three-peat by the Cowboys, which would have just been unimaginable for us. And then recognizing that we have one of the great teams and we can't get there. I mean, part of, you know, not everybody has to get there. I get that. It's, that, that should not define your life. But when you do, it really, you, you, that's why they carry a flag. I mean, you go to the top of Everest, you stay in base camp for six weeks. And what you do, you carry this piece of steel pole and a flag. Yeah. Why in the world? Because you know what? When I get there, I'm putting it in the ground and we're going to take a picture. Here's the biggest lesson from this book, and i got to get back to that night at the Super Bowl, but the biggest lesson from the book, I thought, was when you got to Brigham Young and you had a quarterback coach, I think it was Doug Scoville, was. our offensive coordinator, who who basically said that left-handed quarterbacks are not going to play, you're not going to succeed. I mean, I'm dramatizing this, obviously. Not really. He told me point blank, I will not coach a lefty. Yeah, I said, "Oh, I wish I would have known that before." Yeah, before I, I took this, before Lavelle Edwards said, "Oh, come on out." But but here's the great thing about it, you know, and the reason why, if I were any sort of athlete growing up, if I were in ninth, tenth grade, if I were a parent, whether it be Christmas, birthday, whatever, you got to get this book. And I'm not just shilling for the book. I'm not just shilling for you and Jeff. I'm serious because you basically took that, okay. And you said, I am not going to let Doug Scoville dictate my life. Mm -mm. I am going to dictate my life. And maybe I'm not good enough. I might not be good enough. We'll find out. But I am going to dictate my own life. Mm -hmm. I'm going to battle Jim McMahon. I'm not going to beat out Jim McMahon right now. But at some point, I'm battling him. And these other six guys who are in the quarterback room, I'm better than they are. They want to change my position. We're not going to do this. I'm going to work. And so that is the biggest lesson of this book, in my opinion, that you took control of your life. And what is so interesting to me is that it happened when you had all of these other things, these little mini demons playing in your life. I didn't ever look at it. I didn't, just so people know, I didn't feel like there were demons. I just felt like I felt differently about different, especially around pressure and around games, preparing for games than other people did. But I didn't know how to define it. But I appreciate that. First of all, Peter, I wouldn't show for this book either. I gave it to my kids. The my work is done. (laughs) I'm happy as a clam that I have something that they now have a record for themselves. But I appreciate what you're saying there because I had no – you lived it and you don't know its context. And honestly, because I respect you so much – and you were the first one that actually wrote something about the book. And I remember thinking, I have no idea. To me, I, re- I had to read it four or five, six, then go through it. And with my wife and I, Barb, just really put the time in with it. And after about the fourth time, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this thing is brutal. I don't yeah. even want to see it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I have yeah. no interest in reliving it. I don't want to. And so then I thought, so it's relieving in some ways that there's something in there that might be useful. Because in the end... I told Jeff, I'll never do this because people write our, uh, you know, books and, you know, well, we played in Chicago and it rained and it was a hard thing, what we want. And I just, it's, it, it's fine, but I want it to be useful. So you, you make my day by thinking that it might be useful some way. I'm going to tell you about an event that happened in, you don't, you, this had nothing to do with your life, but when you were in eighth grade in Greenwich, your high school soccer team came in the Connecticut State Tournament to Enfield, Connecticut, where I lived. <laughs> 
That's where I lived. Wow. In Enfield. And we had a 2 nothing lead with a minute and a half to go in regulation. And Greenwich scored two goals in the last minute and a half of regulation and then one in overtime. Oh. The last soccer game of my life. Oh. Greenwich ruined my life. You're and like, so I hold that against you, yeah, Steve Young. Big, like Big Poppy in the Indians last <laughs> night, right? <laughs> well, I... <laughs> I feel bad for Big Poppy. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, you can't. Yeah, what I a wonderful! Not. That's what I'm saying. You have to. Big Poppy went right through it. I mean, I, my big thing is go through it, not around it. It's kind of one of the themes in the book. And so, you know, when people just keep going through it, I I honor them. And I don't really care where they end up if they just yeah. keep going through it. And you were talking about the post game of the Super Bowl, and in the car, and and but that, you know, before that, people should know this. Lee Steinberg, your agent. In those days, interviews after the Super Bowl were a little bit different. Today, maybe you do NFL Network, maybe you do ESPN, and then you have this huge thing. Then you're gone. It's over. Then you go back to the hotel and have a party. Well, in those days, Lee Steinberg lined you up for 24 post-game interviews for two hours. That was a hot night. It was a humid night in Miami that night. Very hot. And you, after the game, had nothing to eat, nothing to drink. And at one point, you're like, my assignment is to follow Steve Young after this game. And we're maybe 19 interviews into it, and you turn to me, and you go, is there any water, any Gatorade? <laughs> so you got anything? I am so hungry. I'm so thirsty. I said, let me go find out. I went you underneath. Got it? I went underneath the stands at this stadium, and there's some service workers taking food out of the luxury suites, and they're <laughs> wheeling it down. For all I know, they're going to throw it away. I sure, don't know. Sure. And so I went up to one guy who didn't speak English, and I said, I need to take things. And I took five <laughs> sugar cookies, uh-huh. and then I took an apple, yeah. and then I took three bottles of red Gatorade. Oh, Peter, you I saved brought my them out. I brought oh. them out to the field. You drank 48 ounces of Gatorade in 48 seconds. How long did okay? that last? <laughs> okay, so then you finish your interviews. We get in the limo. We're going back to your hotel. In those days... I mean, I, I didn't, nobody knew any better in those days. I used to just get into limos right, with people and go back to the hotel. And you were there. And I was there, and there's Lee Steinberg, and there's Kerry Collins, who he's trying to recruit. Yep, you know? yep, I remember it well. And so, and so you said, all of a sudden, we're just barely out of the parking lot, and you puked all over Steinberg's shoes. And he said, he said, well, I'll never wash these shoes again. <laughs> then we get back to the hotel, and you're a little woozy. Yeah. You're not feeling well, that good. dehydrated. Totally but dehydrated. But then... We go up to your suite up there, all right? There's like 40 people. All you know, the Aunt Mildred from Greenwich. Oh, and yeah. Lee yeah. Johnson was there, the yeah. punter, who yeah. I hung around with a little bit. Right. But, and the Miami-Dade Fire Rescue comes up, and they put IVs in both arms. You're laying on the bed. And here's <laughs> the scene that I will never forget. Interesting. Your uncle, I think it was some uncle, in the back of the room, yells out, Joe who? And at that moment, you said, hey, hey, no, no, no. Joe's a good guy. Joe, you know, like that. And you launched into this defense of Joe Montana, yeah. who, and I'm not saying he was your tormentor, oh, but I mean, I mean, it was a, that was a difficult thing to yeah. be into. Yeah. But I want to ask you just about that moment, that day. What happens after you fought for something for so long and you finally have it? You know, it's funny. Um, one of the stories, and I think is the story when the next night, because when you win the MVP at that time, you sign a little contract the night before that if you win it, you're the, you go to Disneyland. And so right. I did the little thing, and so I actually went to Disneyland the next night. I made my way down there, and there's a parade. And I remember was it Disneyland in in California? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going down Main Street, Mickey Mouse, and everything. And we're way, and I remember thinking, I'm there. This is just, we've done it all. I mean, we just done. And I remember feeling the exuberance and the, and the and elation and even kind of losing myself. Like, you know, you're the man, Steve. I am the man. You know, that kind of a thing. Like, really going over the top. And then quickly the thing ends and gets quiet. And the two little kids sitting on the stoop. And the long, younger one sees Mickey Mouse and starts to chase the, the float. Yeah. And I think, oh, my gosh, he might get run over. And his older brother grabs him. You can't get near him. The big guy won't let you. And I remember the moment when I went from really the king to Mickey Mouse's bodyguard. Now, you might laugh <laughs> yeah. about that, but I truly felt it. Yeah. I almost wanted to... I don't know that I yelled at the kid. I, I know I wanted to yell at the kid. Hey, kid, yeah. check the sign on the side of the, of the float. It says Steve Young, Super Bowl MVP of all yeah. the times in my life. And I think that's where you want to put the flag on top. You want to take the picture. But you know what? You can't stay there very long. Yeah. You got to go back. And you got to go to work. Yeah. And so that was, to me, it was worth it. It was worth it. I would say to anybody, it's worth it. But don't think that you're going to live up there. There's no space 
to build a home and hang out. Like you got to go back down and go to work. But you're pretty happy because you you always I remember I was at your house once you lived with Harris Barton didn't yes. you for a while <laughs> and I remember one time I saw a check for like I don't know three hundred thousand dollars just laying around on a desk and I said shouldn't this be somewhere and Harris Barton said oh he never cashes those <laughs> you're just a strange dude about money and about a lot of different things yeah. but I I got two other things okay All this right. is the MMQB podcast with Peter King and I'm here with Steve Young so. Why did you never really like money? I don't think it was a, a not like money. It was, it hit me like a firestorm in the USFL. The way it was couched, the $40 million, it was couched as that this is what's wrong with sports. I remember right. flying back into Salt Lake and Lee Benson was the famous uh, sports writer for, you know, my guy, right, from college right. and knew him for a long time. And he had written an article that was headlined, Steve Young, What's Wrong With Sports? And so for me, what they're talking about is money. And so I can't earn that. There's nothing I can do. That's why I wanted to give it away because I can go play football, but I can't handle being known for you know all this money. And so I had to learn and grow and mature and figure out how to not make it yeah. the part of my life that was. And so it's never been, I mean, I don't say like I hate money. I just think that you got to. That was just the experience I had coming out of college that probably most anyone would have a, at least have thought of being a little bit of a tough spot, you know. And so I think that informed the rest of my life is just how much, how much do I care and one what do the, I really care about. Because one of the things that I always thought about you that was interesting, I, I mean, I'm, when I knew I was going to be doing this today, I started thinking of all the moments that I had been with you over the years and the stories that I remembered. But here's another one that really tells a story of who Steve Young is. You were at the height of, you know, your fame and uh, you were in San Francisco and I went in in the off season to do a story. And so one of your linemen came out to you one day when I was talking to you outside the locker room and he handed you a jersey and he asked you to sign it. You signed it. Then he handed you a piece of paper and he asked you to sign it and you said, what's this? And you looked at it and it was a certificate of authenticity. And it said on there that you had worn this jersey in a game. You had not worn this jersey in a game. And you were tormented, really, about whether to sign it. You said, I can't sign this. I didn't wear it in a game. He goes, Steve, it's for my charity. I'm going to get so much. And, and you said, oh, my God. So you signed it. You signed the certificate of authenticity. But I'm telling you, for the next 10 or 15 minutes, you were like moping. You were just saying, I just lied. I just I didn't wear this in a game, but I signed it to help out yeah. this, you know, my buddy. And there are some things you have to do sometimes, but that really that to me says a lot about you. Most guys would say, Ah yes, just sign it and then they wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. That really bugged you. Well, my dad, you know, my parents informed me a lot about my life and you know, he was a my dad was a strictly honest man. I mean, just that was his North Star, you know. And he also just couldn't stand somebody that would quit. Like, you can pick what you want to do, but once you pick it, you're in. You're, you're, you're in. It. Yeah. And so maybe that's part of it is a sense of, you know, you just want to live in a glass house a little bit. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. You know, for the everyday fan, it can be a hassle getting a seat to a game or a concert that's in town especially for a good price. That's why the best place to go when you need tickets is SeatGeek. It's so easy, you'd be crazy not to try it. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place, so you save time and never miss a good deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and they'll let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And you can also use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. That's a feature I love. Oh, and best of all, SeatGeek is always honest, upfront about the price. They show you the full ticket price from start to finish. They never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. Now, pay attention to this next part. It's important. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's 20 bucks right in your pocket. And to get it, all you have to do is this. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click 
add a promo code. Then enter promo code MMQB. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It doesn't get any easier. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code MMQB today. So the last two things I'm going to ask you. One is I want to read a little section of the book. I wrote about it, but I found it really interesting and actually kind of compelling. And it, this was when you were in the height of your competition with Joe Montana. And this is the words from uh, QB, My Life Behind the Spiral, Steve Young and Jeff Benedict. Bill Walsh scheduled a practice on Christmas. Afterward, the players who were single were offered dinner at the homes of the married players. Joe, meaning Joe Montana, invited me to dinner at his place. It was my first visit to Joe's house. The meal was magnificent. His beautiful wife was gracious. While we were at the dinner table, Joe and I were talking when Joe's daughter, who was probably around three years old, raised her hand. Dad, she said, Dad. Joe kept talking to me. Dad, she repeated, Dad. What? Joe said sweetly. Is this the guy we hate? She said innocently. It was all I could do to not burst out laughing. No, Joe told her, that was someone else. <laughs> and I just thought, how perfect was that? So this is a question that's going to take about 24 years to answer. But I want to ask you about your relationship with Joe Montana. Yeah. How was it then? How is it now? It started in awe, right? Because he had already won two Super Bowls. He'd already done things that you just think, holy cow. The only reason I even thought about coming was Bill had told me that he had had another back surgery. And I knew that I couldn't watch. I just, I mean, you can say whatever, we can make any judgment you want, but I knew if you asked me to come and back up Joe Montana, I, I, would, have, I would have never agreed to that because I, despite the fact that I think in the long run it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me, I didn't want to do it. And so here we were in the middle of this conundrum and Bill Walsh was set, dead set about making sure that I played and making sure that I was in the middle of a big, huge mess. I mean, he loved, I think he relished throwing me into games and Joe, you sit down and I'd go play. And there was a couple of times in 1988, it looked like I might win the job. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and here he was in the height of one of the great careers of all time, if not the greatest. So that was where we were. That's where we sat. And so we, but people don't realize that we sat through thousands and thousands of hours of QB meetings and and played tons of golf in the, in, you know, during training camp, during special teams practices. We'd run over and play nine holes. or you know, We never had an argument or a, or a crossword, but it was always hard, yeah. as you could imagine. And I saw year, years going by me that were just precious years, right. that I was ready to go do some great things. And he saw, what the heck is this idiot doing here? Because this is my town. You know, so it was like all those – and I totally respected throughout the whole time. I knew it was hard. I knew in the middle of it. That this was, I never had a wrong, the wrong sense of what was happening, but I didn't know what else to do. Here we were, and I guess I, I remember begging Mike Holmgren, who was our quarterback, our offensive coordinator, like, Mike, I, I need a couple throws. I got it. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't win this job if I don't have a couple of throws. And he's, I know he's looking at me like, Steve, it's Joe Montana. You don't have to worry about it. So that, in the middle of that, we lived, you know, th six years and two Super Bowls. And, and I, I've always said at the end of the day, the beneficiaries of it were the 49ers. They got every ounce of, of both of us, you know, and, and I'm the beneficiary because I saw, and I've said this many times, I saw someone do things on the field that, that I will never see again, no matter who it is. There's a unique talent he had with the more people that were involved, the calmer and easier it was for him. If football was 20 on 20, it'd be better for him. Yeah. Like it was something about him that just, and so I, I informed my life and my game and my the way I played so much behind what I watched and what I witnessed and hated, not hated, but yeah, it was hard. Uh, I don't know what the right word is, but just struggled through every minute of it. But I was on the best team, the best platform to go find out how good you are, best owner, best coach, best players. I mean, come on, Steve, let's go. You know, so in the end, I would say that it worked out uh, magnificently, but what stories? Oh my gosh! I mean, now you remind me. There's probably another four books just in that one. You know, just what about what about now? How are you and Joe? Great. Yeah. You know, I think as time it has never been bad again, but it was always just hard. Yeah. And there were people that would sit between us that really helped, like Steve Bono, because he was our friend. You know, and he 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 made it easier to have conversations. But 
I think through time, and I don't know how Joe feels about it, but I certainly feel like it's, you know, you just, as you grow older, you get more appreciative of the things that happened and the things that you went through. And, you know, so we, we see each other and there's, we did a little commercial together, which is really fun last year. It was titled Awkward, and it really, <laughs> it, really, it really was. It was like, and Joe and I know it, too. You know, it's like it really was hard um, and awkward, but, and I think it really came through in the commercial. But we loved that. We, I think he enjoyed it, and I really did, too. So I want this book to be nothing but a, a level of respect for what he gave me in my life. Steve Young with Jeff Benedict has authored QB, My Life Behind the Spiral, and Steve, I know you've read it four or five times. I think once will suffice for me. <laughs> but I will say, just again, if you're a high school athlete or if you're an athlete or a striver in any walk of life, you get some great lessons in here. Steve, really yeah. appreciate you joining me. Peter, you're a great friend. It's great to see you. Thank you. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. I want to ask my listeners a quick question. How would you like to get three home-cooked meals for free? Well, all you have to do is remember these four letters, MMQB. That's easy enough, right? Now keep listening, and I'll tell you how to get those free meals. Look, we all know there's nothing better than a great home-cooked meal, and no one makes it easier for you to do that than Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to all. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their suppliers and bring you only the best ingredients right to your door. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients. It can be prepared in 40 minutes or less, and you won't be disappointed. Now comes that part about the three free meals I was talking about. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash MMQB. Think about it. Three free meals just by adding MMQB. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. Do not wait. Once again, that's blueapron.com slash MMQB. Blue Apron. It's a better way to cook. Now, let's hear from TJ Ward of the Denver Broncos. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King here in Denver with TJ Ward, safety for the Denver Broncos. TJ, thanks a lot for joining me. And thanks for having me. So, you know what I find sort of interesting about guys who change places in mid-career especially when they go from a team that hasn't won, like you were in Cleveland your first four years, and then you come to a place where they're very used to winning. So if you now look at the two places, is it really different coming to work every day in a place where the expectations are low versus a place where the expectations are very high? Oh, definitely. It's completely different. The attitude... The way you prepare, just the people around the building, just the atmosphere is better. You come to work and you know there's a mission. You know, we're here to be the best. And that's what you strive for every day. I don't care if you're the cook, the janitor, secretary, player, coach, GM, president, owner. It starts from the top and it trickles all the way down and you can see it. In this organization, how has John Elway affected that? And how do you sense the players feel about a guy who used to be a great player but now is deciding things like sizes of paychecks and who's on the roster? Uh, I think for us it's a good thing because having a guy that's you know making all the moves, pulling all the strings that has done it and has done it at the highest level, you know, it gives you confidence that, you know, he's building things in the right way. And as you can see, they've been done the right way from winning the Super Bowl last year. And then the turnover in the last three years hasn't been much at all. And then if it has, the guys that are being brought in are guys that are going to help this team be better. And, you know, that's what you want to see as a player from year to year. I wonder, you know, one of the things that Elway talks about is that when he was learning how to scout, one of the things that he was looking at in players 
is the ability to be really competitive, mm-hmm. not just to be a real talented guy and then show up, but to make sure that that player is going to be a competitor. So you're a player. How important is that aspect of your life in your job to what shows up on Sunday? It's definitely, you know, one of the, if not the biggest key in success is that competitive drive because you got to have, you have to start with that. Even in order to want to be great, you got to have that competitiveness in you. And you can prepare all you want. You can know all the plays. You can do everything right. But if you get on that field and you don't have that dog and you don't have that, you know, fight in you, it doesn't matter because you're going to give up anyway. So I think I've never heard that expression from Elway, but that's definitely what he's done here because I know on defense we argue with each other because we're so competitive. It could be a certain way of play is supposed to be ran, how we're going to play this. We're sitting in the meeting room arguing because <laughs> we think one way <laughs> is going to work the other you way. You all exactly. feel like you have the answer? Exactly. So, no, it's great to have. It's great being in the meeting room because we get so much feedback off each other and we're all kind of like alpha dogs in one room. So, it's funny to see guys just humble themselves and be like, okay, all right, yeah, we got to do it like that. Or, okay, I messed up. Or, so who is the biggest alpha dog? Uh, <laughs> in the room, I'm, I think it just goes by years, kind of. Like me, Tlaib, Stu, you know, Chris. What about Otis DeMarcus, four. though? Oh, I'm just talking about DB room. Oh, but, okay, uh, all right, all right. Oh, on the defense, yeah, D-Ware, he's definitely, he's the alpha in the defensive room. Yeah. OG. Chapman, he got the C on his chest. <laughs> yeah. In your mind – you have a disagreement in the defensive back room. Let's say you feel one way, Chris Harris might feel another way, or Aqib Tlaib might feel another way. How is it resolved? What happens? Uh, <laughs> well, we'll sit there and argue for a little bit, and then we'll ask Coach, and usually he's telling us the way we should play it. And even if he tells us the way we should play it, you know, we've been in the league for Tlaib going on nine, I'm going to seven, Chris going on six. So we've seen a lot individually. So even if he tells us something, we're like, nah, Joe Woods, that's not going to work. <laughs> we can't play it like that. But, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, Joe Woods, he gets the final say, and we're going to run it like he says. But that's your, I'm that's not going to say we don't take our own liberties on the field sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I remember last year – In the playoff game against New England, the AFC Championship game, the play that Harris made on Julian Edelman there to stop him short, you know, basically on their sort of last gasp drive, he has to take a little bit of a leap of faith that he has watched enough tape that he knows exactly what the Patriots are going to do on that play. Mm -hmm. Is that instinct? Is it homework? What is it? I think it's both. I don't even think they ran that play before New England, but Chris, you know, being a savvy corner that he is, he had man coverage on the guy, and um, those are the type of plays that teams like to run on fourth and short, third and short, those type of situations. He's seen his guy go across, seen another guy coming back, knowing that the other guy was in man two, probably couldn't get there. So he stopped, came off, made a great play. That was just him using, you know, his, uh, his just instincts. What was the general feeling on your defense when Von Miller got paid and the value in him was shown by this franchise? Yeah, we were all, you know, happy for Von, first and foremost. Like, that contract's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we just had glad to have him back, glad to have him around the building again, had that energy he brings, you know, that humor. You know, just have one of the guys back, one of our brothers back in the locker room. He was going for all the OTAs, so, you know, we missed him. So – I've heard a lot of people say and a lot of players say over the years that after you've won a Super Bowl, it's a little bit different the next year, that you have that ring and some guys maybe don't come back with the same feeling the next year as they had. So this year, in this offseason, early in this season, what have you noticed in your locker room? Do you notice any difference in the players in your locker room? I noticed that we're hungrier. Why? How is that possible? Oh, because it's like you have a juicy steak right sitting in front of you, and you cut a slice and you eat it. It's good, right? I loved it. It was great. But I want some more. I'm still hungry. That's how we feel. And I think teams that don't, that get that one bite and get full, that's why they fall off the next year. But we still got appetite. We're still hungry. 
So, and we know how to get there. You know, we've done it. We have the blueprint. I'm not going to say it's going to be easier, but, you know, we've done it. So, just do it again. <laughs> what, was your, what was your great quote in the offseason that I think you said, we don't care if George Bush is our quarterback or we don't care, <laughs> yeah, whatever. What was your, what was your oh, line? Oh, yeah, I said yeah. something like that. They yeah. asked me, uh, are you worried about the quarterback situation or something? And I said, nah, I'm not worried about it. I said, George Bush could play quarterback for us. We're going to go out there and play the same defense we play. So it wasn't no knock on the quarterbacks we had. Right. I was just showing the confidence I had in our defense. Don't you think it's a fairly amazing story that Trevor Simeon, he's not even, until his senior year at Northwestern, he's not even the full-time starting quarterback of the team. And then he comes here and wins the job. What it says to me is that when Gary Kubiak says, I'm playing the best guy, mm -hmm. he's going to play the best guy. And last year he played Osweiler for seven games, you know, mm -hmm. even though Manning wanted to play. And at the time, Kubiak says, hey, I think Osweiler's the best guy right now. But it is a pretty amazing story, isn't it? Yeah, it's it? a great story. I'm happy for Trev. Like, he came in, probably was at the bottom of the depth chart last year. And to be the starting quarterback this year, you know, that just shows if you keep working and focusing on what you want to do, it can become possible. You just got to work and grind and keep going after it. And that's what he did. And he won the job. They brought guys in to replace him, drafted a guy. You know, I mean, he beat all eyes. I mean, what else? You brought a veteran quarterback in. You brought draft your first-round quarterback. You know, and no one was betting on Trev, and he won it. So I'm glad he did. Finishing up with T.J. Ward. T.J., what's the most fun thing that you did in the months after winning the Super Bowl that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do had you been a great safety with the Cleveland Browns <laughs> and hadn't won the Super Bowl? Oh, let's see. You know what? I have got a lot of uh, endorsements. You have, you have <laughs> a couple of endorsements that I wouldn't have had. But um, just being invited to other different events like golf tournaments I got invited to, the after party we had right after the Super Bowl, just going places and people calling you champ. Like, that is priceless. What's it like it's when priceless. Some, like, what's it like when somebody calls you champ? Man, now? it's great. I feel like Ali. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, it, no, it's definitely a great feeling. It's like, but you can only be champ until Thursday. The championship's over. And we got to work on another one. TJ Ward, thanks for joining the MMQB podcast with Peter King. You were great. No, thanks for having me. Love you. My thanks to Steve Young and TJ Ward for some really, really interesting conversation this week. So, after five weeks of the NFL season, what exactly do we know? Well, I think more than any other year in a while, things change in the NFL so quickly, and the first five weeks have shown us that in spades. And I'll give you three examples. So the Dallas Cowboys could never win when Tony Romo was out of the lineup. In fact, coming into this year, in the last 15 games that he had not started for the Dallas Cowboys, the Cowboys were 1-14. So you look at that and you say, well, what chance does Dak Prescott have to succeed, especially with such a diminished defense? So what has happened? Dak Prescott's won four in a row. He goes into the game this weekend at Green Bay with a legitimate chance to keep Tony Romo out of the lineup when Romo was healthy enough. And again, everybody in Dallas, Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, Jason Garrett, hey, this is Tony Romo's job. Well, if Dak Prescott plays and wins a fifth consecutive game without turning the ball over, I just would like to know how in the world you can take him out of this lineup. But the most important thing for the Dallas Cowboys is very simple. When Romo gets back to health from the broken bone in his back, they will have two quarterbacks capable of winning any game in a given week in the NFL. They have not had that since before Troy Aikman retired in 2000. So a rare embarrassment of riches is about to happen with the Dallas Cowboys. Second team to discuss this week that has just been a huge surprise, and that's the Carolina Panthers. They have not been able to overcome a shaky start 
Obviously, they opened the season at Denver. The organization, by the way, was not happy that they had to open this season at the defending Super Bowl champions after going 15-1 and last year and making it to the Super Bowl. But I'm not sure that that's something that they haven't recovered from. I think there's two problems in Carolina. One is that their defense has not been quite the shutdown defense that they had a year ago, now dealing with an injury to an invaluable member, both as a leader and a player, a linebacker, Thomas Davis, and dealing with the fact that three of their top four corners are rookies, having cut Ben Ben Wickery last week. So... I think Carolina, I'm not sure that it's going to get better this year. And to me, they are definitely number two in that division at best behind the Atlanta Falcons. So speaking of the Falcons, let's talk about Atlanta. And I want to talk about what made Thomas Dimitrov, the general manager, such an unpopular person in Atlanta around draft time. In the middle of the first round, they had a pick and they chose a safety, Keanu Neal, who on many draft boards was rated down in the 40s or 50s. And that's one of the problems with the, quote, draft boards in media basements around the United States. Because think about it. You know, Thomas Dimitrov, his assistant, Scott Pioli, their entire scouting staff, and head coach Dan Quinn go out and they study players. And the one thing that they thought about their defense is we need an enforcer. Nobody's afraid of playing our defense. So Dan Quinn, who came from being defensive coordinator in Seattle and believed that Cam Chancellor is an absolute game changer when he's on the field, he said, let's go get my Cam Chancellor. And that's what this guy is. Keanu Neal has started to make an impact with his defense, as has Vic Beasley, the number one pick in 2015 as a pass rusher, had a three-and-a-half sack day in Denver on Sunday when the Atlanta Falcons announced to the league that they are for real. Thanks to my guests this week, Hall of Fame quarterback Steve Young and Pro Bowl safety T.J. Ward of the Denver Broncos. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with John Elway, Brandon Marshall, and Larry Fitzgerald. You can find these at the MMQB.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Digital Media for their production work, and thanks, of course, to my sponsors, ZipRecruiter, SeatGeek, Stamps.com, and Blue Apron. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.